0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the David Hessian podcast. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Nick Littlehales. Nick is one of the top sleep coaches in the world, working with premiership teams such as Manchester United and Arsenal, as well as being part of Team Sky Cycle. He is also a best-selling author of Sleep, The Myth of Eight Hours, The Power of Naps and The New Plan to Recharge Your Body and Mind. Nick has been working with athletes to maximize their sleep for over 20 years and is the creator of the R90 method. I'm super excited for this episode. Nick, welcome to the podcast. My pleasure, David. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, Nick, can you tell everyone a little bit about how you got the title of the sports sleep coach and what led you into this career?
1: Um, without sort of keeping you on for like two hours, it was um, it's sort of a very simple journey. I, I you know, love sports as a teenager, like many do. Um, I thought I could make my way in sport, whatever it was, so I just tried absolutely everything. That didn't kind of work out. Um, That was a long time ago, back in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, I fell into the sleep industry, just trying to pay a mortgage and bring up a family. Um, I spent many years in that industry, traveling around the world, looking at all sorts of things, working for a big company. Um, I created the first uh, UK sleep council with a collaborative uh, members of the manufacturing and retailing in in the UK. I was the chairman of that for a little while. And basically I've just been wandering around the planet, you know, designing products, looking at sleep, working with clinical professors, um, looking at the importance of sleep, looking at how the population looks at things and you know at, at a certain point maybe a little midlife crisis maybe or something like that i just sort of sat there and thought well you know i've learned a lot about this stuff i've been studying it i've been engaging with it um from the clinical side they study sleep and do lots of research but they don't seem to have a defined approach to how we can you know uh improve the way we sleep They just do it exactly the same as me. They go through their day. It just happens to be their occupation is looking at uh, the clinical side of sleep. So I thought, well, nobody's got any answers. We've just got this get your eight hours, don't eat too late, 16 to 18 degrees, cool room. And so I haven't met anybody who does this. Uh, So it's still taken for granted. It's not a performance criteria. Our only conversations really are, you know, did you sleep okay last night? Yeah, it wasn't so bad. Uh, So whereas the other health pillars? uh, Some would think, you know, nutrition, fluids, and sleep are about it, and a bit of activity has been done to death, and I just thought, well, I've done loads of things trying to change the perception, but uh, it hasn't really got me anywhere, so, I decided I wanted to, I was in my early 40s, and um, just decided that maybe I should go off and do something else, so I sort of handed in my notice as a director, which meant I had to work for 12 months, you know, making some adjustments here and there, and, you know, during that run-up to that period, which was about the late 90s, David, um, I got asked to sponsor the football shirts for the local football club next to my office in Manchester in the UK which is Oldham Athletic. I thought well yeah okay we'll do that, we'll put the company's name on their shirts and maybe the workforce in the factory, the company at the time was called Slumberland which some of your listeners may remember or may not Um, but they're a leading brand in the world of sleeping products and um, so it made the workforce happy but Because I was writing the check, I got invited along to a few football things. And I just happened to bump into Alex Ferguson. And, um, you know, I was just, some of the things that I'd learned, some of the things that I thought, well, you know, maybe we could do things a bit differently. Maybe we could do it like that. Maybe we could do it like that. I don't know. So I just started a conversation uh, with Alex Ferguson. Um, it just happened to be at the time, you know, the class of 92, which whether you like football or in sport, whoever you support, uh, are aware of. Sort of David Beckins, Ryan Giggs, Butts, and Skulls, and the Neville brothers, and various others. And uh, Alex and the physio at the time called Dave Fever just became a little bit interested. But when you're looking back, into the late 90s, you know, I'd only just got a phone, and the sort of dynamics of that particular time, I think it was any other club anywhere, uh, they just wouldn't have even engaged discussing sleep as a performance criteria, but it sort of started with, you know, maybe there's this player who's sleeping on stuff, and we're always rehabilitating them, and, We're having to wrap them in cotton wool. So maybe maybe from a product side or a a sleeping side, a bedroom side, we could try and make some improvements there. So it started there. Then it sort of moved into can you talk to more players? Um, Whilst all the people in the club were sleepers, like we all are, they were not in the sleep industry. So if I sort of said, well, there's a better way of doing that, they would say, okay, let's try it. They happened to be, you know, it's all this sort of like people's (laughs) journeys. Uh, It wasn't planned. It just happened. And then suddenly Manchester United did something quite dramatic back in 1999 when they won the treble quite dramatically against Bayern Munich in the new Camp in Barcelona. And it put a hell of a lot of focus. I mean, Gunny (laughs) Gunnar Solskjaer was the, the guy who flipped it in. Uh, who is now their current manager. And back then, it was just like the whole media came down on top of Manchester United Go, Alex Ferguson's done this, it's amazing, Da da that. A lot of those players, which is a little bit different to today's world, they were sort of born and bred, you know, UK. Um, so there was very little foreign influence in that. So a lot of those guys played for the England squad. So the England squad became intrigued. Uh, a guy who was looking after the England squad from a physiotherapist point of view, a guy called Gary Lewin was also shared with Arsenal football club. And uh, he got interested, this new manager who'd just come into Arsenal was a guy called Arsene Wenger. Uh, he's now retired, but you know, we're still at it <laughs> some 20 odd years later, but he had a completely different sort of perspective about managing football teams. So, I got asked to talk to the Arsenal Football Club, uh, to the first team players. And it was at that particular moment I just suddenly realised that people were asking me to come on and talk to professional footballers back then and just pass on things I'd learnt and everything else, and they were interested. Um, so, literally, one morning, uh, back in those days we used to have newspapers, very little online, and Suddenly, one of the tabloids had just gone, had found out that, you know, Manchester United, Arsenal, England squad have got this, this guy who's talking to them about sleep. So they put the word coach, which they're familiar with. They take the word sleep and they just go, you know, Manchester United's pampered football players, da 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 have actually got a sleep coach now. You know, probably tucking him in and reading bedtime stories, for heaven's sake. And... So that was really the moment when I just realized that that was me. That I'm being termed as a sleep coach in sport. And so, you know, as a, a background, as a sales and marketing director, um, as a, an individual, as a teenager trying to make my way in sport, which is, which is very hard, and, and you have to be very committed and personally motivated to try and achieve what you're achieving. So I think all of those things came together, and I just said, well, okay, I will, uh, I will be a sleep coach in sport, and I'll pass this information on the best I can. And from the early 2000s, uh, there was the Euro Championships in 2004 with the England squad in Portugal. We investigated certain other things, um, which was great. We then, I got involved with British Cycling in 2008-9 when they were challenged to put a British rider on the Tour de France podium and make cycling famous, you know, in the country for all other reasons, just get us on our bikes and be more healthy. And I got involved with with that team, which was all about the aggregation of marginal gains. So they couldn't ignore sleep. So they we started to do lots of things there from looking at circadian rhythms and pre- and post-sleep routines and sleeping in cycles rather than this and da 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 and environments and that. And we started to take those out onto grand tours with Team Sky, who was born at the same time. And then eventually that sort of culminated around 2012 with the London Olympics and Bradley Williams being put on there, Sir Bradley Williams now, being put on the, the first British ride on the Tour de France podium. And then Team Sky had been doing it for fun, since then, and now Team INEOS. Um, And they were breaking records, the cycling teams, and then we had the paracycling. So we started dealing with deaf people and blind athletes and limbs missing. So I was like, wow, it's developing even further. And since 2012, um, you know, things have been developing in the world of sports and life in general. And sleepers finally become a subject that uh, we're all looking at. And, you know, it's more about human performance, about human recovery. Uh, it's something that it has a load of benefits to us. We've been ignoring it for so long that uh, when you just look at some of the basic principles of everything uh, that you should learn at school and pass on as parents and that whole process through decade and decade, is that it's been a fascinating journey over two decades. I've been going bust every single week, being told to give it up every single week, being told to go off and do something else, Nick. But here we are today, talking to you, David, uh, in a world that is under pressure, which should be the healthiest, fittest, most knowledge human population on this planet. And yet, in the background, we can clearly see that, as human beings, our ability to recover should have been looked at more carefully. And we just need to take a step back and redefine it all together for the next generation. So there is a long, drawn-out answer to your question. Um, but I didn't set out. I didn't go to university. I didn't study uh, do we have any sort of clinical academic background in it? And to be honest, everybody I've ever met in that area, uh, there's no sort of definitive approach. So what we've been trying to do over those periods is just try to find a way, you know, a series of practical achievable things that we can do and that we can understand to to deal with the, you know, positive and negative extreme demands of the world we live in today and that's the story
0: and a a great story it is it's crazy to think you're calling it a drawn-out story but that's that's 20 years put into about 10 minutes there so you didn't do too badly Uh, (laughs) something i just want to pick at is you mentioned how sleep wasn't put down as one of kind of the pillars of performance or pillars of fitness when it came to people and do you think that has changed now do you think it's considered one of those, especially when you're in like the professional side of sport?
1: I think it's changing, David, but I don't think it's changed. I think it's, um, there's still this concept because of data collection, sports science, uh, you know, we've got all sorts of things going on around sport. It's, it's become a very intensive thing because of the global media and, and we can just do things so easily these days um, without any cost factors. So we've got multiple channels of sport and media. We've got social media. We've got stuff. We've got everything going on. So we've, we've kind of started to look at it. But there's still that concept of it's all about physical performance. It's all about nutrition. Uh, it It's focused on those areas specifically, it still sort of comes to get a good night's sleep and I'll see you tomorrow. And even even when you look at, um, you know, I've just been working with a club and, and we've just been looking at over the, you know, the next seven days, two weeks, three days, and you look at that schedule and there is this sort of thing that the human can actually do anything. It can deal with anything. Just keep, we'll go there, we'll do that, we'll do this, then we'll do that, then we'll go there and we'll do that, we'll go there and do that, we'll give them half a day off there, then we'll go there, then we'll go there. And it's sort of like, hang on a minute, that's just crazy. That's just non-human. But sometimes in sport, because, you know, they're young athletes and no fear, and they, they don't have that. edge. They just, they just roll with it. But there's too much evidence to say you just can't push the human being through those types of schedules and traveling in short periods of time to planes and coaches and hotels and this and that and the pressures. And then suddenly they're in a stadium being watched by thousands of people and millions of people around the world who can make their own times. You've got pundits commenting on your own performance, examining you, it's like, it's just a crazy set of circumstances that's cropped up around. But you still, there's more people looking into this area, I have to say. But it still is the sort of 1%. You know, it's not, you couldn't say that every single team in the Premiership are looking at this. In the Championship, the NBA, NHL, Baseball, you know, NBA, you look at Olympic authorities, you look at every sort of area, and then you start wandering down into places like fire service, public sectors, police forces, nurses, surgeons, pilots, Amazon workers, students. I mean, the subject is being talked about, but the actual impact is probably very low at this moment in time.
0: It's it's definitely going to take a long time to get away from the whole "I'll sleep when I'm dead" attitude that you had a lot of people having back yeah. then, back in recent years. Um, that work harder and it's kind of like um, driving, but not not stopping to to put gas in your car. You know, just keep driving. It's it's eventually going to catch up with you. And I think people are starting to realise, but it will take a while. But um, take so that's, a while.
1: you know, you know, it's my sixtieth birthday this year, and, uh, you know, I'm there with my physio or chiropractor, whatever, and, you know, you've got these little osteoarthritis in my hip, a little bit down there in the ankle, a little bit here and everything else, and they just turn around to you say, look, you you led a really healthy lifestyle when you were a teenager in your 20s. You were really active, sports and everything else, which is amazing, right? But here are the consequences. You've been wearing your joints up, so you can't have, uh, you know, you can't look to have a, you know, that silver surfer, as they call it, to live for a long period of time as much as you possibly can and still be doing triathlons and things like that when you're in your 60s. And because if you don't manage it almost from the point of being born, If you don't, it's it's almost like a healthy, balanced diet, everything in moderation. If you push things too hard at the start, they're going to reveal themselves later. So it's almost like we should be able to live a lot longer and to be more active when we're in our 40s and 50s and 60s. But it's only if you've got a balanced approach to it. Because if you lived in my world, i have been wearing stuff out and I'm suffering from it now.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You have to find that balance between getting as much done now as you can, but also not at the expense of being able to do things in later years. Um, Which kind of brings.
1: We looked at in the early days, it's like, you know, particularly with that uh, class of 92. You know, I'm an Aston Villa fan, so don't anybody think that I'm pushing Manchester United. But there was a bunch of people there, and we very much looked at how you could achieve high levels of performance, but also put recovery at the forefront of this. It's not doing nothing. It's actually being able to balance every role in 24 hours so you can maximise what you're doing and to increase more sustainable, consistent levels of recovery, which means that you can perform and be available more often. And when you look at that group, uh, Gary Neville, Phil Neville, Nicky Butt, David Beckham, Ryan Giggs could walk out onto a premiership field right now and hold their own.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and I, I love the way you put that about recovery. Um, but kind of on to the next point I wanted to bring back to sleep, and that is this whole you mentioned it a little bit earlier as well, about the eight hours of sleep. Where where exactly did that come from and what do you recommend instead? Because I know you have your own method with the with the R ninety technique.
1: Uh, it always um you know fascinated me this sort of you know get your eight hours and i thought well i don't do that i'm a sales and marketing director of a big business i'm flying around all the time i can't get eight hours solid sleep with no unbroken disturbances seven days a week 365 that just doesn't happen i haven't met anybody from uh, professional academics in the world of sleep or to students or nurses or friends or you know, parents, where does all that come from? And I think where it starts is that if you, if you learn at school that within a 24-hour process, uh, the human being and its brain, its relationship with the circadian rhythms, which is nothing more than the sun rising and setting, it creates a timing wherever you are on this planet. It's called the external clock and the internal body clock. And as humans, it wasn't that long ago in our journey on this planet where we lived outside. So there's a direct relationship with the sun coming back into our world, sunrise, reaching a peak midday, going down to diminish light, and then taking us towards the next phase of that 24 hours. And when you look at that, the human being's brain reacts to this light and temperature shift. It creates biological functions that change, hormones like serotonin, melatonin, cardiovascular performance, coordination, reaction times, the best times to do things. Then you can roll in the fact that we've got a genetic chronotype, which means some of us have a phase delay to this process. So you've got night timers and AMers, you've got owls and larks. So there's a a little genetic twist. There's a circadian rhythm that's going on that will never change. And when you put all that into context, you start to understand that all it is, is within a 24-hour process, the human being wants to be in around 30-odd percent of that 24-hour process in recovery, which equals eight hours. Eight out of 24. When we invented electric light, we started to shift those eight hours into one monophasic block, just at night prior to the electric light bulb we used to get our eight hours in a multiphasic way called polyphasic sleep so there's four or five major sleep-wake cycles for the human being prior to electric light since electric light one monophasic block i.e get your eight hours at night but pre the light bulb it was get your eight hours every day so I just took that on board. And when looking at elite sports, and going, this is what you're trying to do. And we tried to put that together in a process. Of, well, why don't we do it in a manner before we invented electric light? Because it's still natural. It's still positive as human beings. But if we can sleep in a multi way, maybe we can take the pressure off, and the anxiety off, of just waking up in the morning, Never mind how well we've slept. We may not have slept at all. It may have been disturbed. We don't feel. But we crack on with our day until there's only so many hours left, like eight. And then we just go, right, there's only eight hours left before I've got to get up in the morning. So I'll just try and sleep. And I think we've been getting away with that process, um, you know, up until the late 90s. But in the last two decades, things have significantly changed and every generation has to face challenges nobody argues about that but i think the last two decades and the decade in front of us is creating so many challenges in a 24 7 world that trying to think about trying to get your full eight hours in just one block at night is just so yesterday and doesn't equal success
0: Yeah, that's actually a very good explanation of it. That definitely makes it easier for me even because that's something I get asked a lot about, um, which kind of brings me on to the next thing as well. I get asked a lot about when it comes to sleep. Obviously, I'm not a sleep expert, but when you're training people and they're, especially when they're dieting, they've struggled kind of getting to sleep at night a lot of the time, especially when they've kind of heightened cortisol levels um, from being in a deficit. When it comes to napping throughout the day, how do you recommend people use that? Because I know... Um, a lot of people say you shouldn't nap, especially during daylight. Um, you hear all these sort of things. What's your opinion on napping?
1: I think the first thing you want to do is, is a bit like sleep. It's just, you know, when you say sleep, um, there's an immediate perception of what that means. It's doing nothing at night. And it has no performance criteria. It doesn't determine anything. So first of all, you shove that to one side and say, this is about human recovery performance. This is about mental and physical activities. This is about how you're approaching your day to recover as effectively as possible, and to be so much more productive and win gold medals if you're an elite athlete, or be, you know, that sort of thing. So first of all, you put sleep to one side and say, that was for previous generations. We have a different generation now. The other thing is napping, snoozers for losers. It, mean, it generally means when you say somebody you need to nap, it means that they are not sleeping well at night. So it's granddad in front of the fire. It's, it's people who can't deal with the days. They get so tired they have to go off and do some sort of snooze. And when you, so first of all, you get rid of that. And then you think, in 24 hours, I need to get eight hours worth of recovery, or more. I need a process where I can subconsciously move from one period to the next, where I'm in control, so I can deal with all the outside influence, all the things that everybody's asking me to do. But my focus is always on ensuring that I'm able to get recovery. Because if I help my brain throughout that 24-hour process, it will reveal better levels of recovery when I choose to go into it. So the concept would be is that people who are winning, is they sleep, sleep shorter periods at night to increase the quality and the right times. And that's a subject you know we could talk about for another hour. But when you look at the circadian rhythms, tap it in your browser, when you identify your own chronocyte, when you think about cycles rather than hours in any 24-hour period rolling every seven days, we sort of change the language. And so with some key organisations who are really making a difference and and standing out. I mean, look at Liverpool Football Club. Whether you like football or not, they are standing out way above the rest. Way above the rest. And that's because you sort of redefine your approach to it. So we, don't, we think of five cycles a day, you know, maybe four cycles at night. We chop the day up into 90-minute cycles. We think about the post-sleep period from the point of weight. We think about grabbing the second natural sleep period, 30 minutes midday, day, just to have some vacant mind space, just to help the brain. We look at early evening. There's another one, a little 30-minute mind space place. And then we look at shorter periods at night. We have, we could roll that through every, so we start talking about, you know, athletes start talking not about sleep. They talk about the next seven days in front of me is all about 35 cycles, 28, 90-minute block, back-to-back cycles nocturnally, balanced by another five or seven shorter micro periods, 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there, we look at little distracted breaks every 90 minutes. And the combination is, is that ultimately, within that whole process, we can roll through any seven days. We can see what's coming. There's loads of outside influence that we're not in control of. But we're able to make sure that through any 24-hour process we're on, that we are managing our recovery. So it's not about the perfect night's sleep. It's not about napping for losers. It's just our productivity can go to much higher levels. I mean, you know this, David. It's not about the fastest man on the planet is you saying Bolt. But we're gonna run faster than that. We're gonna jump higher. We're gonna do things that the human being has no understanding about today. That's our drive. But the ability to do that is to combine your recovery activity as important if not more important so you can achieve more if you kind of
0: do less i couldn't agree more especially from a personal training side of things and people people often like to hop on they'll be like oh but if i train more days i mean i'll lose fat quicker it's like, no, you need the training days. Your rest days are just as important. Your recovery days are just as important. Don't do yeah. nothing on your recovery days. Use them to recover. You know, that sort of way. Yeah, um, I
1: think, you know, as, as um, from your own personal training background, you're driven to create revenues, treat clients and everything else. And they've got their own lives and everything else. And just like, you know, client, get in in the morning, do that, bang, then go to work. Meet me tomorrow to do this. I mean, suddenly there's so many more personal trainers who just, you know, like yourself, you just sit back and go, let me just do a profile on this client. What's their chronotype? What's their occupation? Have they got family? Have they got this? So maybe a a more defined personal training program is not to get them in at 6 o'clock in the morning to do high-intensity physical activity was actually to give them a more 24-hour rolling seven-day approach. So it's, you know, we all have this habit of, like, falling into these behavioral channels, and yet you sort of go, I would like my personal trainer to achieve this with me. Right, well, it probably means, hi, Nick. You're a morning chronotype, so you love getting up in the morning. So maybe we'll do all the high-intensity stuff in the first phase of the day. When you come and see me in the evening, it's more about other things. It may be about agility, it may be about strength, it may be about coordination, it may be about this. So you start to work with so many personal trainers, you know, who have changed their dynamics about coaching clients. Because the danger is they always have this sort of thing, how to keep clients engaged. You know, it's that old thing, you know, join the gym in January, leave it in March. It's all about motivation and mood. It's about all those sort of things. And if, if you, whatever you're trying to achieve and all these, you know, we want to, we actually want to sleep for as little as possible and to be training and exercising and driving ourselves to the, to the edge to reach these goals. But when you actually boil it down, What we've seen is if you have a more balanced approach, a more defined approach to this, is that you actually can achieve a much better person at the end of it. Personal best more often. You know, better approach to this. And that's what's been happening in certain areas of the world of sport is they kind of now realize that they can push it, but it's what do they mean by pushing it?
0: Yes, and that's definitely something I'm going to um, start using now that you've mentioned it. Um, It's definitely something I don't use enough of. Um, So when it comes to, you've kind of talked about how the timing and the cycles, thinking of sleep as cycles is the best way to get like the quality and quantity of sleep that you need throughout the week. Um, When it comes to things like stimulants, such as like caffeine or alcohol and their effects on sleep, how, how would you recommend to like people to minimize the negative effects of those on sleep?
1: <laughs> um, I think, in the first instance, um, you know, working in sport for twenty odd years, uh, things have been changing so much. But there is a there is something I've always heard: is everything in moderation, a healthy, balanced approach. And, and I think, even in elite sport today, that's. That's what you look for, you know, it's a healthy, balanced approach to recovery, activity, mental challenges, diet, social activity, the, the occupation itself, training, relationships, having fun, being a collective team, all of those sort of things. It's always about a healthy, balanced approach. So. You know, we've got veganism, we've got gluten-free, we've got batch cooking, we've got all sorts of stuff bombarding us with things. But there is always, for a human being, you know, you know we're here once, it's a, it's a nice balanced approach to it. You know, what we do in those first couple of decades of our life and then 20s to 40s and then 50s to 60s, it's just a nice balanced approach. And some things... Are good for us you know they could be perceived as negative but they are good for us so when it comes to things like you know it'd be really nice to spend some time with you David and have a cold beer or have a coffee and socialize and be away from our tech and just have a chit-chat so when it comes to things like that you know caffeine is a is something at this moment in time? I might wake up tomorrow, and it creates all sorts of problems for us for the rest of us. But at this moment in time, it's just a natural thing that we can have in our bodies. Three, four hundred milligrams seems to be the rule of thumb. We can use it in a nice way. We need to understand it well because it has a half life of six, seven hours. So, principally, when you wake up in the morning, you're caffeine free. So you can actually, what we do in late sport all the time is you just have a nice rolling balance with it, you know, take on 100 milligrams of caffeine just to give you a little spark in the morning. You know, you've been hibernating for six hours. So, you know, you need light, you need fuel, you need hydration. Uh, you need these things at the start of the day. And maybe just a nice little bit of caffeine helps that, whether it comes to a smoothie or an energy drink, or coffee or tea, which has always been the most obvious thing. But what you know is that 100 milligrams in the first 90 minutes of your day, within three hours, it'll be 50 milligrams, because it's a half-life or six or seven hours. So you can top it up. And then over the next three hours, you can top it up. You can use it to improve performance when you're training, just to keep yourself a little bit alert. You go through those phases of the day, and you keep up going. It's a nice balance. It's always there. The brain likes it. It knows what you're doing with it. It's a nice little performance enhancer, and it carries on all the way through. So even you know, three hours before you're going to go to sleep, if you're at 100 milligrams or 200 milligrams, by the time you enter sleep, you'll have dropped down to half that. And then while you are in sleep, the brain's still got a little bit of that, but it's disappearing. So the impact in the morning is not as great. And all this business is high-loading on caffeine to get yourself going, trying to overcome a poor recovery approach and then reaching real peaks, maybe 500, 600, 1,000 milligrams by lunchtime and then stopping it for the rest of the day creates a real imbalance with the brain. It doesn't like it. It's like coming down off a hard drug. So it makes it even worse. You know, alcohol... You know, it's, it's bad. It can, it's so addictive. It's a demon. But, you know, when you're in elite sports and you're looking at cultures all around the planet, we've got families still in restaurants at 12, one o'clock at night with all the kids in Mediterranean, Mediterranean countries. It's just, so you have to sort of deal with all the cultures and all the differentiations and all the different parts of this planet. You can't just label it with one thing. So it's really nice to share a glass of wine with a Spanish athlete at lunchtime with some nice balanced food. It's like a nap. So drawing your attention back to you, what is a nap? It's just like a nice little thing a little social experience, a little vacant mind space, a little something, see, a little little glass of red wine with your lunch, a little cold beer at the end of the day. If I'm dealing with Russian athletes, it's a vodka. You know, if you're dealing with professional cyclists, it's a espresso. But if it's all in moderation, it's balanced with everything else that you're doing, it's just part of being a human on this planet. As always, if you excess, that's where the problem is. That's always where the problem is, is when you use these things like alcohol and caffeine and other things and sugars to try and overcome the fact you've got a nice natural process to you every day. Then. You know, that's, that's the way it works. I don't have a, a problem with it in the slightest, is and I won't share any secrets on your platform, but I have worked with many, many coaches at the elitist level who enjoy a glass of wine, who enjoy a smoke, who enjoy stuff, because, you know, that helps them deal with being who they are, And and I think that's the critical thing about it. It's not trying to turn yourself into some robotic machine that controls everything in its life and doesn't let the human elements and the natural circadian rhythms of our day, and all of those actually reveal themselves. And I think that's what that biggest problem is today.
0: I couldn't agree more. If it, if it helps you stick to everything else, then it could be considered the healthy option to have a little bit of any of those things involved in your, in your daily routine. Well, maybe not daily, but... No, own- no.
1: It, you know, it, it, I think that the word is, what do you determine everything in moderation? Yeah. You know, if I walk past a donut stall and go... Ah, oh, bag of donuts, little mini donuts. I know they taste nice. They're full of this, and they're full of that. But you know, once a month, it makes me happy. If I if I like talking to David, he's he's a friend. Uh, we share some stuff, and it's nice to connect with David Aaron again and have a chit chat about what the hell's Trump doing, or is the world coming to an end? We've got floods. We've got coronavirus. Hello, it's all kicking off right now, isn't it? I don't know whether to be electric or unleaded or diesel. And a clue. Uh, you know, it's all kicking off, isn't it, Dave? So, can we just go for a walk down by the river and have a little chat together? How's life with you, Dave? And if a, a cold beer, you know, as a thing just allows us to have that little social experience. Without our technology, without all of that stuff, can we just sit there by the rim and say, What do you think, Dave? Well, there's some tough challenges out there isn't there? Yeah, yeah. But it was a nice view. How are you doing? You okay? You've recently lost your grandfather? Yeah, that was bad, not it? And suddenly things just get put into context. And I think the biggest thing about all this sort of stuff, about this battle between sleep and napping and recovery, is all about just put it in context because you can't go to sleep. Your brain can't give you what you want if all of these challenges are in your head. So if every day, David Hesson and Nick just take 30 minutes out midday just to walk down and sit by a liffy and just go, that's some real crap going on in there. Yep, 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 yep. And you just said, yeah, yeah. But we're going to still survive this, aren't we? We're still going to make this work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's been nice. Cheers. Let's get back on with it. And this is what napping's about. It's, it's, It's things that we've just lost big time because of all the things we do.
0: Instead
1: of going down by the river and just having a little chat, me and you, for 30 minutes, just about stuff, you know, I mean, all this mental health and well-being stuff, David, it's all about being open and chatting and and talking. And if we don't do that, we just stick there on our devices, you know, looking at all this sort of stuff that's making life complicated and not giving ourselves those little breaks. There's no way we're going to get through the day.
0: No, I couldn't agree with you more. You have to look at it as a a whole, I think, and and finding time to disconnect like that. Um, Something else when it comes to sleep, I want to ask you is you mentioned the circadian rhythms a little bit earlier. And does that change for you throughout the year? Um, depending on the time of year, obviously as this, the sunrise and sunset change, or do you keep it consistent.
1: Uh, the circadian rhythms, uh, everybody can just tap it in the browser. It's as simple as the sun rises, rolls around our planet and creates a light, dark and temperature shift. So if you're in London, you have a circadian rhythm, an internal biological clock connected to that process if you live in London. If you move east or west or north or south, that changes. Because your relationship with the sun going around the planet is different, i.e. in northern hemisphere Finland or southern hemisphere. So all you need to understand is where you are born, you are born in a circadian rhythm that is relative to the sun going around the planet where you were born so it's just like east and west coast of america so as long as you're shifting through time zones you can see that shift so that's always embedded in your clock so when you everything you're choosing to do and everything you do you need to understand that that's who you are that's where you were born so if you're in the same time zone then everything's working right. But if you shift yourself out, like a lot of athletes move from, say, Germany or Europe to the US or into the UK or to Australia or to Argentina, is that what you're doing is you're moving into a different circadian rhythm. But the one that's internal, your brain, you know, I'm called Nick, but it... Just happens to be a brain and a body with bodily functions that's com- completely connected with the outside world. So while I'm called Nick, I can move to Argentina. But I have to understand that I'm shifting Nick's circadian rhythm, an internal biological clock, from the UK to a different set of circadian rhythms. And when you do that, you have a challenge about your synchronization with that process and that understanding can make an enormous difference to what you do and how you apply yourself to those things. You, you can camouflage these things, David. The brain has an uh, innate ability to adapt. You can camouflage it. You can override it. You can do what you like. But the fact is there's enough research coming out now that if you were born on the east coast of America, and you start to do your occupation on the west coast of America, then your internal clock is not aligned to that circadian rhythm. And it's likely to show the results of that.
0: And does your circadian rhythm have the ability to adapt? Or is that something that once you've got accustomed to a certain circadian rhythm or whatever one you're born with, that it it takes a long time to change or it never changes? or, Or how does that work?
1: I think it just keeps adapting. And I think that's what we're seeing. Is that because we've not investigated this area so much? Is it, you know, training, exercise, uh, fuel, nutrition, and stuff like that? Yeah, fine. But what we're trying, what was certainly being exposed right now, David, is that if you had a circadian rhythm, Let's say on the east coast of America, the sun comes up, the sun comes down. These are the times, so you eat breakfast, you do this, you do that, you do that, do that. You roll with that process. If you shift it somewhere else, then what you're trying to do is adapt to that new process. So the sun might rise at a different time. The sun might expose you to light, dark, different challenges. So the brain will adapt to that situation. But what it's doing And I'm no expert in this area, but I've had a few glasses of wine with some neuroscientists over the last few years, which we're not supposed to do. And we just go like, wow. So if we do everything on that timeline, as we've been brought up through those formative years, and then we shift it over there and we start adapting, what is the brain doing? It's adapting. It's changing. It's trying to deal it's almost like a, these are not my words, these were from a neuroscientist. It's almost like you're recreating a new Darwinian theory. And if you move over there and do it like this, when that was your natural circadian rhythm, then your brain is trying to adapt to that set of circumstances. And while it's doing all of that, it doesn't mean to say, that it's productive long term, it just means to uh, say that it's trying to deal with what you're asking it to do, and that might sound a little bit weird and cypher, but you know, these are the types of things that we are learning that uh, you can't just shift. You know, somebody who's lived in Finland and they're light and dark and temperature, their internal circadian, their internal external biological their relationship with life you then shove them into a southern hemispheres place and the brain will continue try to adapt to that but it's fighting it's not it's not something that's natural so i think you know when you look at the when you say the subject sleep sometimes it always gets a little bit centric about you know you live in london You're a podcaster, you're a personal trainer, you know, you've lived in Ireland, you were born in Ireland, whatever. You you get this very centric approach to it. The fact of the matter is, humans live on this planet. And when you look at it globally, there are human beings dealing with all sorts of different types of circumstances and variables of how they approach recovery. And so, when it comes down to this sort of, as you asked me earlier, you know, get your eight hours and sleep in a cool room, and don't eat too late. Um, When you start working with elite athletes who are marathon runners from Ethiopia, and you look at how they've been brought up, and their circadian rhythms, and what they've been doing, and then you shove shove them into the world of sport, um, you can see that there are, you can't just put this can't-blanch thing over this planet, These are the things you need, you know, fantastic mattresses full of this, fantastic pillows, fantastic this, fantastic that, and fantastic that. Well, you know, the population of human beings on this planet don't do that. It's only certain little sections.
0: Definitely. Um, And we've talked a little about circadian rhythms there and like kind of sleeping in a place where it gets light and dark. Where you live um, at the right time for you, Something else I kind of wanted to bring up that I know you're big on is the environment in which you sleep. Um, what would be your tips, anyone, for setting up? Let's say if you were setting up your room to be optimal for sleep, how how would you do that? What kind of tips would you give to people usually?
1: Um, I would suggest to everybody listening that um, you know whether you've been brought up in a family environment of going camping going outdoors, going to the mountains, going to the rivers, getting outdoors, having that little holiday break, is if you just, um, I've got a lovely garden at the back of my house. Uh, There's a tent outside. And if you just go outside and inside, and you've just got a tent. Just a bit of polyurethane between you and the outside world. zip. it. There's no security. There's no environments. Then you'll be completely exposed to the natural process that's happening around me. But it's happening outside, not inside my house. So when the sun rises, it starts to stimulate me and wake me naturally. There's no alarm clocks, no nothing. I enter the world. I've been sleeping on nothing more than A little bit of foam, maybe, or a little bit of blow-up thing. No fancy mattresses, no fancy products. A little bit of polyurethane. A little bit of a zip. No security whatsoever. I'm outside. So the sun wakes me up. It stimulates me. So I have a bit of breakfast. Natural breakdown. We go on to the midday. Amazing. Then we stop because we're exposed to those high levels of light. Serotonin production. Be active. Hunter and gatherers. We stop midday, and have a sandwich, have a bite to eat fuel up and everything else, and just have a bit of a chill out. Then we go again for the second half, because the light is disappearing now. So we need to make full advances of it. And then when it disappears, we stop. There's no light, there's no nothing. We just create some firelight, eat some food, chill out, and we go through this process every day. This is what animals and mammals are all about. And when you start to think about that, then you come inside and you think about your home environment and your bedrooms, and we get so put under pressure that these mattresses have got all these features and benefits these pillows, these duvets, these this, these that, you know, the room environment, and da, da da da. And the first thing everybody should understand is that. Humans do not like sleeping with other humans. They love sex. They love spooning. They love the security. They love the relationship. They love all of those sort of things. But when you fall into a sleep state, you move away from that human being and create your own little space, just like we did outside. And when you look at your environment, wherever you are on this planet, Some people just wake up and uh, they just roll out a bit of cotton on the floor in Japan. And then once they've slept on this hard piece of cotton on the floor with no bed bases, no slats, no nothing, they just roll it back up again and put it in there. They take their shoes off before they come into the room. All of these little cultural things about human beings is that you should put all that into context. And of course you want to try and make your home environment work for you as best it can. But don't get hung up on all the things that you get told that you should be doing, like 16 to 18 degrees, have this fancy mattress. What we do in Sport, because it's a global uh, elite sport athlete coaching service that we offer, is that I can coach you to sleep outside in a tent, up the side of a mountain, on a train, on the metro, on the floor, in a caravan, in a hotel, in your home, with somebody else, without somebody else, standing up, sitting down, or lying down. Really? Yeah, because that's what we do. So the whole concept of eight hours at night, in a wonderful environment with air conditioning, the right mattress, the this and that, we've got a plan, we've got that, we've got that, that's just putting too much emphasis on something. It's not actually going to work. If you can try and change that around a little bit, then you can actually realise this is a natural human recovery process. And I can sleep in a gym. I can sleep in a swimming pool. Because if you change the perception of what sleep means, if I just lie in a pool in a gym and put my head right back, I float. If I just lie there for 15, 20 minutes, just floating, allowing the water to balance my body weight, I'm in a balanced, weightless situation, and I'm just thinking about nothing. Could be in a sauna, a steam room, could be anywhere is that is what recovery is about. It's not about these environments you try to create. I mean, who, there's only a small percentage of the people on this planet who over-egg these environments. You know, they just over them. Most of the athletes I work with are just having to sleep in all sorts of different areas, in all sorts of different ways, with all sorts of different products. So, if you can't, If you can't take your recovery approach, particularly about criminalization, everywhere you go, wherever you are, then it's not going to work for you.
0: I love that because it's definitely something that it's much more practical than what most people's advice will be about making sure you have the exact same setting every time you go to sleep. Because that's not that's not always possible, especially with real-world situations when you're working with real oh, people.
1: You know, I've got five grandchildren. Uh, and, you know, my daughter has, has been producing babies and everything else. So Their family, you know, last week, they're sleeping at home. Today it's half-term, so they've gone down to Dorset to the cottage and they're sleeping there, being by the sea. It's half-term. Now, the cottage down in Dorset is a completely set of different environment. They don't use that every day of the week. Different products, different this, different that, different smells, different sensory and When they're at home, they've got that. So what they've learned, this is not about what they need to do when they're at home. It's about what they do on a general level. Wherever they are, how can they maximise their recovery? So whether they're at home, now it's half-term, they're going to Dorset in a cottage, different environment, different space, different circadian rhythm. They've always learned their ability to recover is more about other factors, not about they haven't taken their bed with them, they haven't taken their home with them, they haven't taken all these other factors with them, but what they have taken with them to Dorset this weekend is their ability to recover in whatever environment they're in, whatever products are available, that's the most important thing. And when it comes down to a lot of athletes and everybody else living around the world, we're all gonna head off to Tokyo. They're not gonna be taking all the things that they've got in their homes. They're not, they're gonna be shifting themselves from their home environment to an environment in Tokyo training facilities, accommodation, hotels, different circadian rhythms and all that sort of stuff. And so, when you look at that, there's no point in over-exaggerating that environment when you're at home when the most of the time when you perform is in a different environment, in a different circadian planet. So that's what we've been working on over the last couple of decades and more people are considering this big time is you know you need to be really careful that this is a very natural recovery process it's something you could do anywhere anytime on anything in any place a chair a train a metro a plane in a hotel up the side of a mountain in your friend's house on a sofa all sorts of things are going on there and if you put that in context then suddenly you realize that it's very much to do with about your ability to recover across those 24 hours without putting too much emphasis on things that you think will change this, like an anti-snoring pillow. Well, just sleep on your side, on the opposite side to your dominant side, in a fetal position, with layers that release to your body shape, and there's no pillow required. So why are you buying that anti-snoring pillow? I have no idea why you're doing that. Because it's going to have no effect
0: on you. I'm very very happy to hear that from you. Um, Especially because snoring is definitely something I do. So sleeping on the side, that's what I need to be doing. Um, The last one, because I'm conscious of your time, Nick. When it comes to um, the pre- and post-sleep routine, um, I know you're big on that. How how do you go about kind of getting yourself ready to go to sleep and getting yourself away from sleep in the morning then?
1: I think it's one of those other little things, to be honest, David. Um, I just realized it was summer's focus on pre-sleep. And it was based on this whole process of, you know, we wake up in the morning, we're going to get on with our day, whatever it is, take the kids to school, fly planes, be least athletes we crack on. And there's only so many hours left before we got to do it again. And so people are focused on, oh God, how do I help myself? Shut the tech down, blue light, wear glasses, uh, supplements, do this, lie in the bath with sensory oils, listen to whale noises, binaural beats. And I'm saying, it's too late. This is a 24-hour process. You're not in control. Once you go into a sleep state, your brain's in control now, right? So forget that bit. It's everything you do from the point of wake. So when you wake up in the morning, what are you gonna do? The most important thing is expose yourself to light. Not the light in your bedroom, or your house, or the gym, or the CrossFit training warehouse, or the offices in London. Not that light, it's nowhere near as beneficial. It's daylight. It's way, way beyond that. So, certainly, you're exposed to the light in that first part of the day. Mental and physical challenges: ironing a shirt, making some food, taking the dog for a walk, getting outside if you can, season dependent. Doing some little bits of exercise, creating some space because you've just been hibernating for six hours or seven hours or eight hours to so give your brain the opportunity to get awake. It's all about serotonin. You need to get that hormone produced. And the light that we're is just not strong enough to do that. So bowel and bladder. Bladder's easy. You know, we wake up in the morning, we need to go to the week. But opening the bowels up. So you need to be feeding off the good stuff. Not carrying around the waste. This is why breakfast is the most important meal of the day. But only if you've emptied your bowel, you've fed yourself with good stuff, so, you start your stay energized with feeding off the good stuff, not carrying around the waste. So, we always focus on post work, it's all about that first 90 minutes of your day to make sure that you've done everything you possibly can to engage yourself with that natural circadian process. And one of those key things is like little distracted breaks every 90 minutes, the, the, the opportunity to create those little moments, midday, early evening, to take the emphasis off the evening so you don't have to rush around doing things. Trying to emphasize that, you know, the whole eight hours thing is right, but if you can get six hours solid, without disturbances, from every single, then that is far more burnt. So you think about eight hours a day, not just eight hours just at night. And all those things start to fall in place. They really start to fall in place
0: amazing thank you so much nick um just before we go as well anything that you'd like to mention your instagram your book um where anyone can find you where's the best place to get to to find you and find your information uh
1: the best place is to contact david Hessen.
0: <laughs> and i'll have everything linked in the description yeah, anyway, yeah, so. absolutely.
1: you know obviously you know all the social media platforms you know sportsleepcoach.com) um, you know, we're there and we're about. But you know, everybody who's listening to this, you know, always I would suggest that they contact you, because uh, you're the reason you've had me on today, and the reason you had me on today, the reason you're looking into this particular area from your own point of view. So they should contact you, and if if that raises further questions, uh, if that re- raises another podcast that we should do to answer some of your audience's questions, like what the hell was Nick talking about or why is this so important? That's the best place to go. And, you know, I'd like to give your audience something to do.
0: Yeah, perfect. Go ahead.
1: Whether you're on iOS or Android or whatever, this whole thing about... Blue light's bad for you and shut your tech down and pre-sleep and all that sort of stuff. Remember what I was talking about before about being actually more exposed to the circadian rhythms of the day? It's amazing. Me and David just go and sit by the river and suddenly everything feels a bit better. We're not so intimidated by it. So if you go on to any app store and just grab yourself a light meter, um, on iOS there's a free lux light meter it's it's just don't pay for one you can get very scientific about this and we do but at this stage just get a free lux light meter download it onto your device and immediately you have a little dial that just measures the strength of light around you not the wavelengths or anything else it just measures the amount of light on your phone. Wander around your bedroom, your office. This, go outside, go by windows. If you travel to work on trains or tubes or whatever, just start to use this little meter to just to engage you with a process about light. And what you'll realize very, very quickly is that today, it's been a very multi-weather day. But uh, I was in a room that was brightly lit by daylight. The lights are on. We're in the office. We're there. Everything's bright light. But when you look at the lux meter, lux is the way, it's lumens. It's a way to measure light. So it just puts a little dial there. And it just shows you that two meters away from the window, in this brightly lit room, even a CrossFit trainer, that environment, or a gym, or anywhere, your offices in London, wherever you are, suddenly you just go, hang on it. I should be exposed to around 10,000 lux. Because that's what the sun does. It rises in the morning, goes to midday, and then does that. So on average, I should be exposed to that to create all these wonderful bodily functions. So everything I eat, everything I think, everything, mood, motivation, it's all driven by that. And I'm just looking here, And three metres away in my kitchen, it's measuring 100 lux. That's pathetic. When I move a metre closer to the window, it moves to 900 lux. When I'm actually by the window, it's now 2,000 lux. Wow. If I just step outside, I'm not even three metres away from where I started this process. It's now 80,000 lux wow wow so this whole relationship with light because it's nothing more than i will not leave the house without a charger for my phone i won't because that phone if it hasn't been charged if it doesn't allow me to engage with it to do everything i want it's not going to work The paranoia, if I can't charge that phone. So I've got portable chargers. I don't need a socket anymore. I can just put my phone on somebody else's phone and charge it. But I need to charge it. I need to charge it. Because if that thing dies, I'm out of here. I can't even phone my wife. I can't even phone the kids. I can't even WhatsApp. I can't even talk to you, David. So the principle is, is that when you wake up in the morning, Your relationship with the amount of light exposure is so key. And any of your listeners want to sort of get a concept so they don't start buying, you know, blue blockers and this and that and start worrying and get anxious about everything. And all that sort of stuff is, even tomorrow you can put somebody on a treadmill and go, while you're doing this exercise routine, we're doing a 10K Bashing it, we're on the treadmill. There we are, we've got the right trainers on, we've got the right equipment on, we've got trackers, we've got this, we've got personal training, but we're doing it in 200 lux. If we were doing this outside, we would be doing it in 80,000 lux. What does that mean? It means that you would be on high levels of serotonin, which is all about happiness, mood, motivation everything you eat, everything you drink, you're in harmony with the sake of rhythm. Well, let's just take the treadmill and shove it outside. Because I'd rather be doing this outside than in here. Because all this is, is 200 clubs. So I'm trying to achieve my goals and my objectives in an environment that's putting, actually, my brain is saying, you're in melatonin land. Not in serotonin land.
0: Wow. Fantastic. And that's a very simple tip that will make a massive difference, I'm sure. Um, I'm going to download that myself right after this. Um, and Nick, I cannot thank you enough for this. Um, it was absolutely amazing. And thank you very much.
1: David, it's a pleasure. I hope everybody uh, enjoys the conversation. And conversations don't end at just a simple thing. So If all your listeners want more questions, more more answers, whatever, um, just engage with the whole process. And we want to do a a revision one in another six months or three months or next month. Um, It's all about educating people as much as we possibly can.
0: I couldn't agree more. Thanks so much again, Nick.
1: Thank you, David.